2: You're listening to The Critic Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So Jaffa Archers, 6 for 40, were his best figures in any format for England as they salvaged a consolation victory by 59 runs in the third ODI in Kimberley. England have uh, also named their squads for the white ball tour to Bangladesh in March, with both Somerset batter Tom Abel and Leicester spinner Rian Ahmed being named in both the ODI and T20 squads. We'll hear from England captain Josh Butler who's expressed his frustrations on the selection dilemmas facing them when elsewhere New Zealand have named their test squad to face England, which will be live and exclusive on TalkSport 2. And we'll also hear exclusively from England women head coach John Lewis ahead of the start of the T20 World Cup. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. So, Harmi, England lost the series in South Africa, which is a result I wasn't expecting. I think most people had England down as favourites for that. But if you're going to lose a series 2-1, there were a lot of positives, like Joffre being the main one, but, you know, hundreds for Jason Roy. That was a massive story after the first game. Um, the captain, man of the series, made 94-100 and 100 in the third game. David Milan, yeah, lots and lots of positives. And when I spoke to Mo, uh, Mo and Ali after the second game, uh, when they'd lost the series, he said that uh, he and Joss didn't believe in pointing to the positives um, for the sake of it. Um, and he said, you know, that, that we both say when there aren't any positives, but this time there were. Yeah, there were positives. There were, I think there were quite a few, to be honest, from an exposure
3: point of view. When you when you look at it, round it up at the end of the series going forward, they give England even more headaches. Even though they lost, Milan going to the top of the order puts probably even more pressure on Jason Roy, Sam Curran. I thought he was very, very good. Um, when it comes to normally bats at number eight, because you know if Ben Stokes is going to be in the in the World Cup squad, then Curran probably have, will have to bat number eight. He got a bat at number seven, so he was in earlier. He got a little bit more exposure, bowling it to death again. He continued to 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 do well at that. The biggest positive was. Joffre Archer and Joffre coming back playing two games, bowling his overs, got his wickets, his pace was up, direction was very, very good. He was challenged in that first game. He really was challenged. It wasn't easy for him coming back, uh, which was always great to see. Um, so all in all, it was three games which were had to be scheduled and had to be fit in. And you were thinking, this might not be the greatest thing for England. Uh, even though the lost, there were things that came out of it. Which were, were good for England. And Joss Butler, again, carried on showing why he is top of the charts for me. He's still one of the best players in white ball cricket. Um, and on pitches, which weren't the greatest, uh, his timing, timing of the cricket ball was ridiculous. Yeah, a lot of people were thinking it and can't get it off the square. And Joss was timing the ball as well as I've seen anybody time a cricket ball. So it just shows that the England captain is a bit touch as well.
2: was really interesting. Um, I was commentating on the game and when England were 14 for three, Josh Butler's walked in in the seventh over. And my instinct was, gee, um, I bet he would have preferred to be coming in in the 26th over rather than the the sixth, uh, because I just thought that he must be knackered and, you know, he's in T20 mode and, and all of that. But he said, after that partnership, that incredible partnership, and in England going on to make 346. But he said that as he was walking out there, he was thinking, what an absolute pleasure. I can bat. I can actually bat for a long time. And, you know, and it was stinking hot in Kimberley. And I just thought, you know, he's in for the one of the longest days of his career. And, in fact, it was his longest innings in ODI cricket. Phenomenally fit. And he just said it was like a good old-fashioned ODI innings, and he absolutely loved it. To be fair, I think in Test cricket, he always struggled
3: for me to play the situation. Didn't know how, not so much play the situation, didn't go from, didn't know how to go through the gears that he does in in white ball cricket. I think that's the criticism that was sort of level and not the situation, because he does play situations very, very well. He can defend the ball, he can use his brain in in the times that what it is needed at the time in one day cricket the sort of criticism out of him in Test Match cricket, he, he there was in, you know, first gear or he couldn't go to second, third, fourth and fifth. You know, and when he went to fifth gear, he he, he missed, them, it missed them out and that's where he, he became in, in trouble in bowlers in Test Match cricket Um, had his number because of that. But in one day cricket, he just seems as though he knows what innings to play and how to play it, how to conduct it, how to construct it. And he um, he did that very, very well. If you remember back in Adelaide when he batted 200-odd balls for not very many runs, he, the kid can play. The guy is a ridiculously talented batsman. It just seemed as though, for some reason, it happens. It does, it happens. For some reason, test cricket didn't work for him, but one day cricket, white ball cricket, he's a master. He is an absolute master. And there was no way, even at 14 for three, Maca had the game finished. We were going home at five o'clock. The game was gone. Yeah, you know, we, were, we were shaking hands with each other. We're going home very, very soon. You know, 14 for three, this is finished. But not when the England captain had his head on like you did. And that, again, is another positive for me because when you look at this squad that's been in South Africa, you're probably only playing for 10 places. So 14 players trying to play for 10 places. Because there's players injured, there's players retired. They're coming back. You want, you, you want one of your guaranteed bankers to stand up and continue to be informant. I'm very, very happy now where where my England captain is at the minute when it comes to his performance and his leadership because I thought his captaincy in that first game especially was very, very
2: good, even though they lost. And he spoke very well too. Let's return to the subject of uh, Joffre Archer because Josh Butler says that um, on the subject of workload management and Jofra Archer, England should be careful that there isn't too much of it.
4: Well, I think someone who's <clears throat> been out for so long, when they're back fit, they want to play cricket. You know, I think that's... Uh, the big pitcher for Joffre is he, he wants to play so when he's come back and he's fit and there's cricket available it doesn't seem to make sense to to hold him back he obviously needs to build his his overs and his resilience to being able to bowl 10 overs a game and, and of course for for English cricket looking ahead you want to see him back playing test cricket as well where he'll need to be able to bowl spell after spell and so he certainly needs to be playing cricket in my opinion you're always going to try and look after him and and you'll be guided by the medical team. You'll be guided by him as to how he's feeling, but you know he he wants to play cricket. He's, he's sat on the sidelines for a long time, um, so if he's fit and available, it, it, I personally makes sense for him to be to be playing cricket.
2: That's Joss Butler saying that uh, Jofra Archer, if he's fit and, and raring to go, then he should be he should be let loose. Just a final point. point: um, three times Jofra was Joss's go-to man. And three times he delivered. That must be a very special feeling. You know what that's like. When the captain looks at you and says, We're in a spot of bother here. South Africa were 150 for three. He came on, he went bang, bang, and they were 170 for five. And then they were 260 odd to seven, and they were winning the game with that partnership. And again, the captain threw the ball to Archer and said, I need a wicket. And, you know, each time he, he, he delivered. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's what Joss is trying to say is,
3: Joffrey's fit now. Let's play him as a fit bowler rather than you know, wrap him in cotton wool. Because if you wrap him in cotton wool, I think you you'd get injured again. That's what bowlers do. You keep them bowling. You keep them bowling. It's not as much as they can, but you keep them bowling you know, little and often. And then when you come to the test matches, then they have to be you know, super fit to get through five days of cricket. But in one day cricket, keep them playing. And you're right. But when you needed, Archer delivered. A little bit like Nokia for... But Bavuma in that first game, England walking it, not a problem. Didn't I didn't see England getting beaten that first game? But Pierce, absolute Pierce is key, and I think more and more now, man, as, as fifty over cricket goes, it just seems. You Mo and Ali, Mo and Ali, you had a great conversation with Mo and Ali. Who, as honest as Mo and Ali is, and as much as I love the boy, oh, boy, I was so frustrated with what he was saying because it was as, as the say. I've had enough of 50-over cricket when it comes to bowling. Spinners are struggling with this extra man inside the circle. Pierce bowlers and somebody quick just completely change the context of the game. That seems to be the way you're going to have to go. Left arm seamer, you've got a chance. Angle. But if you're military medium and your right arm, you've got no chance in the 50-over game, especially in the middle order. You've got to have something different, especially with a bit of pace. Nokia did it in the first game. Robot um, um Archer did it in the last game. And I think moving forward going on, England are going to need at least one, possibly two of wood, stone, or archer fit for 50 over cricket if they want to stand any chance of winning the World Cup.
2: Right, let's turn our attention very quickly to the New Zealand squad. A couple of standout stories. Carl Jameson um, is returning after almost an injury after an almost a year out with injury, a back injury. Trent Bolt um is staying in the UAE to play in the ILT twenty, so he's not considered. And Gary Stead, the coach, says that uh, they're still battling to find a replacement to Colin de grandarm at number seven. I'd have thought Carl Jameson could do that job, personally. Um unless, you know, they don't think he's in number seven. But um look, it's still a it's still a very strong New Zealand squad, isn't it? It's a
3: strong squad. Just Wondering how they're going to get 14 into 11 because I think I'd want a bit of pace against England. It depends who you're going to play England on, pitch wise. I think I'd want a bit of pace against England. So, can you get Matt Henry and Neil Wagner in the same team? I'm not sure you can because obviously Tim Sally's captain. Kyle Jameson balances your side out, probably half the bat number eight. Mitchell, you might need to bowl a little bit. So, all in all, you know, there's six quality batsmen in there. You've got your waykeeper who bats, obviously, as well. Jamison at number eight. A little bit like the Australia side, where you've got Cummins coming in at number eight. And then you've got your three bowlers. And if they play a spinner, which I would imagine they'd want to play a spinner in ish Saudi, then you can only have one from Wagner or, or Matt Henry. Personally, I'd want a bit of piss, but obviously Tim Saudi's is captain. So Wagner, probably the, the one that gets the nod that's a good side. That's a really good side, no, no matter what the player... We've seen before Manners in the past that basically New Zealand have played on flat, flat pitches, especially mad Mount Manganui. It nearly finished off Archer the first time we were there. But we've also seen, basically, New Zealand play on the outfield. There's times where I've switched my telly on and gone, if them stumps were there, I've got no idea where what pitch they're playing on. They, they do sometimes play on pitches which literally look like they're playing on the outfield. So... If they play on one of them, you might see them not play the spinner and then they could play their two quick lads. But I can't see them taking England, England on on one of them. I think this pitch will be flat. I think the games are going to go five days. Largely due to the fact that if they play them on a green seamer, you just played it into England's hands with Broad, Anderson and Robinson. So all in all, I think it's going to be a good contest, but I think it's a very, very strong New Zealand side who play very, very well
2: at home. Okay, final word in this section goes to the New Zealand coach, Gary Stead, who spoke obviously at length about his own squad, but inevitably he was asked about his opposite number and uh, the uh, the Brenda McCullum Ben Stokes revolution. Look, I mean, there's no doubt that they are the pop topic of, of test cricket at the moment. And I think that's exciting that coming here and we can test them on, I guess, our wickets that may bounce a little bit more as well. But Look, they're a quality team. They, they have been for a long time. I think what Brendan and Ben have done without changing their personnel considerably is perhaps bring the best out of some of their players. So they're playing with the freedom. For us, it's about working out our style of play still, the way that we play, the tempo that we play. Um, test cricket isn't easy to win. They're, they're always tough test matches. And even though we lost the last series 3-0, it could easily have gone the other way as well. We were in situations going into the last days in all situations. And that's Black Caps coach Gary Stead. And a reminder that uh, we'll bring you live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of that two-test series in New Zealand right here on TalkSport 2. The action getting underway next Thursday night. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Don't forget, uh, we bring you more live international cricket on TalkSport in the coming weeks, including England's tour to New Zealand and Australia's test tour of India. Right, let's talk about uh, the England white ball squads. Uh, the standout stories are Somerset batter Tom Abel and Leicestershire Spinner, all-rounder, Do we call him? Brian? Yeah, all-rounder, yeah. Yeah, we go, we'll go all-rounder. Uh, both named in the squad for England's three ODIs against Bangladesh in March. Uh, Hampshire batter James Vince is also included. He's uh, in and out of England's squads on a regular basis. James Vince, not sure he knows where he stands. Mark Wood has returned. After missing the NZ Test Series, uh, being rested. And Sakib Mahmood, who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago, is also back in the ODI squad after playing for the England Lions in Sri Lanka. So, what catches your attention there, Army? Two things. England have got the other piss
3: bowlers back together, Wood and Archer, which is nice to see. It's interesting that when you give somebody a bit of power, leadership, and you ask them a question, and if they didn't have the leadership, didn't have the power, you would give a completely different answer. And that's Josh Butler when it comes to the T uh, 20 franchises around the world and people playing because I don't think for one minute Josh Butler would have said it's frustrating that people would rather choose franchise cricket over international cricket if he wasn't catching. I don't think he would have said that. So I get what he's saying and he's right. It is frustrating. People want to play for England or they don't want to play for England. And I'm not saying that as I would 20 years ago or 15 years ago and completely discard the players that have decided to sort of chase the money, which is their prerogative, and it's don't blame them for that either. But I also think it's a chance to have a look at somebody else, and if somebody else comes in and does well, then, look, it's a headache for the selection committee when it comes to picking squads for the World Cup. I think Tom Abel will get a chance. Looks as though he's going to play. You know, the, The 15 names I've wrote down on either side Trying to get them into 11. Uh, just feel Salt miss out again. If he does, probably he does. Because Milan and, uh, Milan and Roy at the top in in 50 over. Milan and Butler at the top in in T20. So if Salt misses out, then Abel gets a chance in the in the middle order, Which, yeah, good for him. He's gone on the Lions. He's had a fantastic 2022 with Somerset. Um, and for me, he deserves a chance. Riyad Ahmed, yeah, he's going to go over. Probably won't play as much as people think he is because I think Adil Rashid will absolutely continue as number one spinner. Will Jacks nice to see him in because I think that boy's got to, he's got to be given some exposure in the the T Twenty and then I think further on in fifty overs as well. I think uh, Will Jacks is a good player. I mean, obviously the the surprise one. Hats off to him if he has chose to try and play for England. And that's James Vince over staying in Pakistan and, and playing in the, the Pakistan Super League because James Vince has found himself in the 50-over squad again. I think he is somebody who's got a contract in Pakistan. So, you know, fair play to, to James Vince for choosing the Zoe he to play cricket for England. But all in all, good squads, good sides, and it'll be interesting to see what sort of cricket is played out there. I, I would imagine England will be, I think, a little bit better and a little bit more focused in Bangladesh than there were in South Africa where people have just flown in for the sake of five days and just played the games and flown out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, they didn't, some of the, most of them didn't have to fly very far because eight of the squad are in South Africa. Anyway, you've alluded to those comments from Josh Butler. So let's actually hear them. He's talking about Alex Hales and David Willey, um, who are both going to be playing Pakistan Super League rather than being playing for England. They were unavailable for selection or they were given permission to play um, PSL.
4: This was what Butler had to say about that. Quite a unique situation, and that's the kind of times we're in with the way games are scheduled. And you know, I can sort of understand it both ways. Um, I think as an England captain, you on one side you wish everyone would just you know, would see playing for England as the, the main thing and, and wanting to grab any opportunity available. But um, there's bigger things in, in play as well, and um, you know the discrepancy between what uh, people can earn playing for England and, and not playing for England um, is quite large. So um, I think that's a, a factor that must be considered and, and for each individual that will be a different um, you know, decision made maybe at different times of their, their careers. So And I think at this day and age, you've sort of got to try and work with it as best as you can. And if, if people make that uh, choice to make themselves unavailable, they, they know they're giving someone else a, a chance as well and, but I certainly don't want to ever be in a position where you sort of say, and you rule people out and they'll not play for England again or anything like that. I think it's, you know, wherever people are playing, we want to try and pick our best available team for, you know, especially for World Cups and, and big ICC events. So we have a very open mind to it. Um, but uh, it's quite complicated for sure. And, and of course, you know, there's some frustrations at, at certain points, but I, I completely understand people's people's positions and you know it's an individual decision at the end of the day
2: That's England captain Josh Butler and you're right I mean it would be interesting I certainly not going to speculate on what Butler's comments might have been had he not been captain I I was surprised that uh, there is such a discrepancy between what you can earn in the Pakistan Super League and what you can earn playing for England I mean it's different if you're playing for South Africa or, or Sri Lanka or you know one of the one of the poorer nations one of the small seven I didn't realize that there was such a big discrepancy between PSL earnings and, and an England tour.
3: Yeah, I think the PSL earnings for somebody like, say, Alex Tails for instance, probably a difference between eighty dollars and 100000 I would have thought, in US dollars, um, which is which is big. Very, very big. Games will probably be pro rata. So if you miss two games, three games out of while well, this one day series and T20 series is on, it's a few quid that. And then if you don't get back in the team because it's your team's done well and you miss a couple of other games and you don't get paid. So I can understand that the the money is, it's good money when you go over to, to these franchise leagues. You run the risk of potentially harming your chances of being in squads further down the line. Not because you've gone into the Pakistan Super League. Not for me, if I was selecting the group. I'm not saying I wouldn't come into the equation, but if somebody else is given a chance to take your players, and he does well, then yeah, you know, you've got to, you've got to live with that. Um, so and the central contracts have got to be looked at. I think they've got to be done a little bit different. They've got to the contract has got to be the best for the ECB when it comes to looking after their players and have control of their players. Possibly, I think that the retainer now hasn't got to be as large because of the the money that's on offer around the world elsewhere. Don't think the retainer should be as big as what it is now in the central contract system, but the match fee has to double treble, if not more, to make sure that you have still got the lure of playing for England being the best thing. So if a three T three ODI tour and a three T to twenty tour to Bangladesh is three times more money than it is now, then you will put somewhat like the Pakistan Premier League at arm's distance, and one or two others, you're never going to push or fight with the IPL largely because there's no other cricket going on at that time. But you'll never fight with that. It's a fight you can't win. But other franchise leagues around the world, if you increase the match fees and lower the retainer to make it more, make it more lucrative for a player to go and play for England that way, then I think you'll keep the franchise system. At arm's length for this, for the time being, anyway.
2: Just finally, and I ask you, as a man who interviewed um, for the role of, uh, of England selector, somebody mm-hmm. who understands the requirements of that job, uh, I just wanted to know whether you have a sense of how much communication there is. I'm looking at a guy like Ben Duckett who played in those three ODIs in South Africa and didn't make meaningful runs. He actually made a, a useful twenty in, in on a difficult pitch in the second game in Bloemfontein. He's not in the ODI squad for Bangladesh. He's in the T20 squad, and I just sort of wonder whether there's a kind of sense of uh, of bingo about which squad you end up in. You know, is it a lucky dip? I mean, are they <laughs> all the all the names like fifty names in a in a tombola, and and you just draw them out and fill up each squad? I mean, uh, uh, is there you know proper communication? And in fact, is there a sense of well, let's just lob him in there and and see how he does? You know.
3: I'd imagine there'll be a a little bit of that. I also think that you've got to be fair to James Vince, who probably takes Ben Duckett's place in that top three of the 50-over team. He's played in quite a bit of cricket in the past. Um, He's back. He's fit. So there is a little bit of, well, we'll put him in the T20 squad. We'll keep him around because both squads will be practicing together. They'll be training together. They'll be around together. And there's a reward for Tommy Abel. We've had a look at Duckett. He's going to open the bat in New Zealand. Big ass to go straight from New Zealand into Bangladesh. So let's have him play a T20. Um, so we don't, we don't literally from one day to the next, chuck him into a game. I think it's actually, Manelas, knowing that the journey that we're going on to get to New Zealand is it not physically impossible for him to play in the last, the second Test match and then play in the ODIs? It is um, impossible. So uh, that's the reason why he's not in the 50-over squad. And Tom Ebel, England have tried to have a look at finding some players that are going to probably fit the 12, 13, 14, 15 spots of the World Cup in India. And Tom Ebel's going to get his chance. Vince is going to get his chance at number three. Probably largely tends the fact that it's is we haven't got a Doctor Who time capsule that will get Ben Duckett from, from New Zealand into Bangladesh. Ready in a in a in a, a coloured kit to play in the first ODI, so uh, that is probably why. But there will be communication. To answer your question: there will be communication. But I think the reason why he's not in the fifty over squad is because he be hopefully
2: he be hitting the red ball well around New Zealand. Okay. Finally, in this section, is it possible Ben Duckett will be opening the batting in a Test match against New Zealand in Wellington in late autumn and it is possible that eight days later he could be playing in a t20 against bangladesh in murpur Dhaka. is it possible to have a more extreme change of format conditions opposition <laughs> it's going from the south pole to the cayhari desert yeah <laughs> it, it is it's going it's going from the north pole to the south
3: pole and going everywhere in between yeah and, it is, but this is the game. This is the modern generation of game, and that this is why when old funny duddies have a go and say you don't play well, games going into, into series and into countries, largely down to the fact that these guys are constantly playing. If they're not playing international cricket, they're playing franchise cricket. So, yeah, it's possible. It's going to take a mentality shift, um, and that, this is going to be a good test and a good sign for the boys that when you go from playing red ball cricket To white ball cricket, you you've, you've got to have the right tools and the right change ups in your game to withstand what you're going to have to go through. And and Ben Duckett's gonna he's probably the only one that's going to go through that change. But I think it'll be good for him. It'll be good for him going down the line because the pressures of it's different pressures. You're taking your it's a mental it's a mentality shift, and it's the brain is having to switch from red ball cricket to white ball cricket. The body is having to go from Long periods on the field to basically explosive and short periods on the field, and for me, if he wants to play in the Ashes, the men, the, the mental energy he's going to have to use in them five five Test matches in six six in a bit weeks. That's for me is this is a, that would be a good warm up for him because you're constantly thinking, you're constantly on the move, you're constantly under pressure, and I think that's what Ashes cricket is. So it might not might not be a bad thing for Ben Duckett to go through that.
2: Yeah, OK. Test match in Wellington in autumn to T T20 in Dakar. The last time they played a T20 uh, international in Dakar, 100 was a good score um, with four spinners on a on a dust bowl. Uh, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. And as you say, that's, uh, that's the modern era. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talks 4-2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time County Championship winner, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll bring you an exclusive interview with England women's head coach, John Lewis ahead of the start of the T20 World Cup in South Africa this week.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport
2: 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Time now to hear from England women's head coach John Lewis as he prepares for the upcoming T20 World Cup in South Africa. He spoke to me before their arrival in Cape Town to uh, discuss taking the role the growth of the women's game and also leaving his role as the men's bowling coach. John, lots and lots to talk about, lots to ask you. Um, overview, first of all, of the talent at your disposal and um, your reflections
5: on a, on, a, on a fairly decent start beating the West Indies 8-0. Yeah, that was um, a really good trip from from our point of view. Obviously, if you're going to go anywhere in the world as a starting, as a head coach, I think the Caribbean, you probably pick the Caribbean because you're going to have Sana whether you win or lose, but uh, to go down and win 8-0 was brilliant. The girls were were fantastic. They played some really, really exciting cricket. I, to, I think most importantly, from my point of view, I got a good look at all of them. So I was able to to mix the team up a little bit and play different players at different times. During one game, we left over 500 caps on the bench, you know what I mean? So it was, um, it was, it was really nice to be able to do that, and especially see the players that were probably on the periphery of the squad get some game time so you could actually make a really informed judgment as to where they were in the cricket. And yeah, winning is great, obviously, but um, I was really pleased in particular about the way we went about how we were trying to approach the game. So uh, I felt like there was a real shift in how they talked about the game and how they approached the the style they approached the, the game. To, to, sorry, to play the game. What are your reflections? I should have kept
2: this question to till, till the end, I suppose, but I've, I'm just so keen to ask you. The change in the men's team is truly astonishing. I mean it was what have you
5: what have you made of, of the New England and, and the one that uh, that you left behind? I think the first thing is that I was I was there at the, the inception of the idea. You know, so when Brendan came in with that and they started to talk about how they were going to go about business, it was like I suppose you look at it and you go, Okay, well, I wonder what's gonna happen here And then for the players to take it on so quickly and with such clarity, is, was such a powerful thing to watch. And I suppose I was there, so I was in and around the Red Bull side, the test side, when that, when that happened with Ben and Redding. And I was also involved with the White ball side when Matthew Mott came in as well. His start wasn't quite the same because he came in obviously with a team that was performing incredibly well over quite a long period. And so the two jobs were very different. So it was very interesting to watch them start their their jobs, you know, as head coaches of England. So I took a lot, Experience over the summer, um, how the test team has moved and shifted, and the way they're playing is. We were in the West Indies at the time; they were playing in Pakistan, so the time zones were not that favourable in terms of watching stuff live and watching stuff play out. But I've spoken to a couple of the coaches that were there while they were there, and you know, I think it's um a remarkable um shift in mindset, and it just shows that if you've got the the leaders and the characters within the room to follow those leaders. Then it just shows what is actually achievable and how entertaining, in particular, test cricket can be. You know, people talk about it being the pinnacle of the, the sport. And most people, when they talk about that, they talk about the mental test of test cricket and being able to grind out results. Well, Ben and Brendan and the team have taken draw off the table. You know, so it's win or lose. And with that clarity... It becomes a, it become a very really powerful force. And what was really interesting about that series in particular on those wickets that other teams have been there prior and post and gone to try and play the cricket they want to play in those conditions and haven't been able to force results or as many results. You know, what I mean? so it's uh, I think it's been fascinating and then real fun to watch. You know, from inside the dressing room, particularly from inside the dressing room, but also for the spectator as well. And I think it puts Test cricket you know, really in the forefront of people's imagination and it'll be fascinating to see how they how they continue on that journey.
2: Talking of teams on the app though, the one that you're in charge of is uh, is packed full of talent and not inconceivable that you could take them on
5: a similar journey. Yeah, for sure. That's the idea. I, I suppose my, my remit as an England head coach and everyone's remit as an England head coach is to, to win as many games as possible and to win World Cups and to win Ashes series and win, and get towards the being the number one side in the world. Everyone's when you pull an England shirt on, you you know, that's the job is that's what you're expected to do. But I think there's a wider and a broader thing to do, especially the women's game in particular, is to help inspire more people to take up the game. It's a it's some a, a game that's still realistically in our country, even though there's a lot more resource put into it than, than there was, is still probably in quite an embryonic stage. So the opportunity to grow the game and inspire Young girls and boys to take up to take up cricket is there, and also the opportunity to try and bring more people into watch. You know our crowds are still are better than they were, and I know for a fact that we've already sold more tickets for this home summer than any other England team has sold, any other England women's team. Sorry, has sold previously for a summer. I think there's fifty thousand plus tickets already being sold. You know in, uh, for the for the Ashes series, um. So. You know, my job is to is to help the girls understand how they can use their abundance of skills that they have to entertain crowds, to make sure we're bringing people in on, on our own right. Well, people really want to come and watch the England women's cricket team, which they've done now with the England women's rugby team, and uh, and the lionesses showed with the football side filling in Wembley Stadium on multiple occasions this summer, the appetite for what for people watching women's sport is there. So we need to grow our ability to to show off. The skills that we have uh, to to show that people we we can really entertain them and that we can we can put bums on cities, so to speak. What can fans expect from the T Twenty World Cup
2: in in South Africa? There's been some some interesting selections. I see Kate Cross is in the squad. I don't think she's played a T Twenty for a, a couple of years. Um, and if I've done my sums right, or my producer Scott has, um, the, I think you're quite well endowed with spin options and um, probably only. Three or 4 frontline pace options. Has I ever done that right?
5: Yeah, we've got five five fast bowlers. It, Catherine Brunt, Lauren Bell, Fred Davis, Kate Cross, and everyone always forgets Nat Siver. Uh, she, uh, she's, she's a very fine bowler and batter, so a very fine all-rounder. And you're right, we are blessed with three incredibly good spin bowlers in. Sarah Glenn, Sophie Eccleston, Charlie D. Charlie Dee was obviously player of the series out in the Caribbean. She played her first game at T20 cricket, and she was, I think, she was ICC Player of the Month last month. And and she's really driving her case forward to be a starter in that in that eleven. Now I've got a tough job in terms of selection because ideally, obviously, you want to play two opening bowlers, You're all-round C bowler, all around and do I play three spinners or two? That's a, that's a, a decision I'm going to have to probably make on the ground, looking at the wickets. So or do you have a batter at seven? You know, so. Those are the decisions you're going to make around balancing sides, condition-dependent decisions, really, when you see, and probably opponent-dependent decisions as well. So, you know, uh, within the squad, we've got a really nice balance, I think. We've got a really nice balance of experience and youth as well. So it's an exciting squad. It's a squad that's, like I said, full full of skill, full of talent. And I'm just encouraging them to be as brave as possible to take the game forward. I think they're getting there feels like we're making a real shift in terms of of mindset but i obviously know that there are bigger pressure situations ahead and mindset shifts can last very very short periods of time when when pressure comes on so those are the things that are, for me as a, a new coach in in with this team and the exciting things i've got to look forward to seeing is how do we deal with those pressure moments and those are the things we've, we've spent a week here uh, prior to going to so, South Africa next week uh, in Loughborough, we've been experimenting with different types of pressure and trying to put the girls under a bit of pressure and talking about how to deal with pressure moments and things like that. So, you know, and that's the, the bits in the past, I think, where the team has just retreated a little bit. And I will be encouraging this team to get to that moment in the game and attack. And so, you know, hopefully, that's what you'll see.
2: Just going to rewind a little bit to the Ashes. Um, now, when you said that Ollie Robinson publicly, uh, wasn't fit enough. Eyebrows were raised, and um, and there were a few people that said, "How can a coach say that about one of his players?" Since then, Ollie has uh, given you um, perhaps the credit. I mean, he's the one that went to the gym and uh, and turned his life around. Uh, but um, the the result is that um, it's left you with a reputation as
5: somebody who speaks the brutal truth. Is that actually the case? I hoped my players, all the players I've coached feel like I, I treat them as individuals. What I actually said in interview was, you listen back to me, what I actually said was I didn't think he was fit enough to sustain an international career. Not that he wasn't fit enough to play test cricket or play international. So actually for him to be able to repeat performances over a long period of time. But I also have a, an incredibly strong relationship with Volnil. that was built over and a six or seven year coaching period with him from... Sussex when he joined at Sussex and I was the bowling coach down there and the assistant coach down there that moved through his participation in Lions cricket underneath the England team and then into the, the main team itself. So that robustness of a relationship between myself and himself I knew that making that statement to him outwardly would more than likely drive him off Right. so some, you, you take a calculated risk when you speak like that in the media, the bit that I didn't foresee was the amount of time between his test match in, where was it, Hobart, to his next test match in Old Trafford, which was probably seven or eight months. So every single time that a test squad or only had a slight setback, everything came back to me talking about his, his physical fitness and the, the, the potential stress that I may have caused him. Um, what I'm really glad of then is come out the other end because that's what every coach wants for every single player that they, that they care for or work with, is that their, their players improve and he's clearly made an improvement. And that small part that I would have played in that, and I mean small part because he is the one who has to get out of bed and go to the gym and work hard on his game, that small part that I played in that is a small part of it, but it, I think it was blown into something because of the amount of time between the two his two appearances. That was obviously it kept the narrative going along along with guys in the media. Um, to ask you a question about whether I'll tell the brutal truth, I will be honest. I think the, the respect that you give your players are around, the honesty that you can use of them, but that is always tempered with the intention of caring for your player. And I think, my belief is that players like honesty. They would rather have honesty, the honest, not the not brutal honesty, but honesty that gives them direction of where they're going to go with their careers. So my belief as a head coach is you treat everyone as an individual and you understand everyone as an individual, and then you give them the honesty that they and the respect that they require because you know how hard their job is because you've done it yourself. And it, it's an incredibly hard job to go out and perform in front of people Day in, day out for a long period of time, you know, and everyone's expectation, outwardly from outside the group, is that your performance improves every time you play. So, which from an inside the group, you know that's unrealistic, and you know that that's that's unfair. But how you ball, if your performance, everyone is scrutinised so much now, you know, from the social media to the media and TV commentary to analysts everywhere, physiotherapists. Sports nutritionists, sports conditioners, you know, strength and finishing conditioners, the, the analytics of each player, the pressure on each player is so high and combine that with the pressure from themselves as players that they put on themselves, your job as a head coach is to try and try and relieve that pressure and take that pressure away and give them freedom and make them feel that like the environment you create is a really safe place for them to come so they can be themselves so for me that's the job of the head coach and, hopefully with the with the women here and the girls here that are unable to do that and they feel really relaxed and they can go on it and show off the, the abundance of skill that they have. The New England
2: women's head coach, John Lewis, speaking to me earlier ahead of this week's T20 World Cup in South Africa. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harbison. Um, right, let's bring you the second and final part of my exclusive interview with England women's head coach, John Lewis, I caught up with him ahead of the start of this week's T20 World Cup in South Africa. Let's go back to the T20 World Cup. This will be me speaking brutal truth, and you can correct me. There is a perception that these tournaments are Australia's to lose. The question is, who who are Australia going to beat in the final? Because they're such a strong team. So how can you win it, and how how will you?
5: Well, I think that perception is correct. (laughs) <laughs> Australia are Australia, 100% the favourites for this tournament. Their record over the last four or five years is, is second to none. But with that comes the, expe- the pressure of expectation from within and from outwardly as well. So there is an expectation for them to come and perform incredibly well because they're an incredibly talented side. How, how do we meet them? Well, I think we've shown over the past few years we're not too far behind them. We were in the last World Cup final. We played against. They obviously won comfortably. But if you watch that game back, there were moments in the, those games where, if those moments, and you listen to all the great players that played lots of cricket over long periods of time, they talk about winning pressure moments, winning moments in games. And so, if you look back at that game, in particular in that World Cup final, there were moments in that, in that game where we could have could have got closer to the to the Australians. And if they'd won those pressure moments, flip them around. Then the World Cup would have gone somewhere else. You know what I mean? So, whilst the Australians have placed incredibly good cricket and and will have a very strong side, I feel like if we can deal with those pressure moments better and we can close that gap a little bit, and when you get to knockout cricket, anything can happen. Um, I think we're in, a, we're in a, the way we're starting to talk to each other, the way we're starting to think about how we play, we might spring a few surprises with a few people at the way.
2: What about you, John? Um... Obviously, this is a huge role. I mean, you're a national coach. Uh, and, and so I wouldn't want to ask you about your ambitions uh, as a coach because uh, you, you, there's a World Cup to be won. There's several World Cups to be won. But how do you see the picture down the line? What, what would you like to,
5: to achieve? I actually have put any thought into that whatsoever. Well, I'm not you. I've I know people dream and dreamers. But my, when I went into coaching, I wanted to try and become head coach. Really? Um, I'm now head coach of England. You know, so that's something that I'm like, wow, okay, I've achieved, I've achieved that. And now it's like, right, okay, can I be head coach of England? But with we, with regularly and and transform transform the game in this country. And so, can we do something that's incredibly exciting, incredibly special as a, as a group of people? And what I do know is I've got a like I keep saying I've got an incredibly talented group of people. And if I can get these uh, the girls to play the the way that I want them to play. And I think that we can push cricket, women's cricket in particular, into the forefront of everyone's minds. Like I saw it firsthand with the, the Lionesses this summer, how big mm-hmm. that got. And I would love to be part of that journey with this women's team. I know that Wayne Smith, the, um, the all-black rugby coach, said after they won the World Cup in, um, in New Zealand recently against the Red Roses, that never in a million years did he ever think you'd get 40,000 New Zealanders to come and watch... Uh, a game of women's international rugby, and he did, and a lot of that was down to the style of rugby they played. And obviously, then they took them to win a World Cup. and now, I imagine if you spoke to him, he would find that an incredibly special moment in his in his coaching career. So, regardless of gender or regardless of what's happening, I think there's there's so much space for this sport, this part of a sport that we love, to grow. That this is a really exciting thing to do. What happens down the line with me? Um, in terms of whether I go back and coach men's cricket or whether I stay and coach women's cricket for the rest of my coaching career, I never actually put any thought to it because of, the, of how excited I am about about the role that I've got now. You know, and it's something that I, when you're a skills coach within a national centre, you have a a study, um, you have a small amount of input, and you have a, an opportunity to trust or to develop individual players along the way. But when you're the head coach of a side, you get the carte blanche to do the things you want to do your way and, and to try and the exciting bit about it, about it for me is the management, people management, and the skill of managing people and the skill of strategizing and imparting vision onto a group of people. And I think that's the bit that really, really excites me and gets me out of bed. So I don't know where I'm going to go. The it. So we'll see. We'll see.
2: Okay. Well, I know it's all about what happens on the field, but. Um off the field, Cape Town, Pall and Barberha are wonderful places to be. It's not Port Elizabeth anymore. So I do hope that you enjoy the Winelands and uh, enjoy the tournament as well as winning it. Thank you for your time.
5: Pleasure, Neil. Pleasure, anytime.
2: That's England women head coach, John Lewis, chatting to me ahead of the start of the T20 World Cup in South Africa this week. Um, Harmi, he, he speaks brilliantly. I mean, he's, uh, he's really thoughtful, really articulate, and I, I just get the sense that, you know, he he's just a very good coach. I asked him whether he was a, well, a no-nonsense, hard taskmaster, and I, I didn't mean it like that at all. I mean, I just think that he tells the truth, and that ultimately, as a coach, must be a good thing. Interesting, is stuff on Ollie Robinson, wasn't it? I mean, it was all interesting. I found it also fascinating that, you know, when I said the most common question is, who will Australia beat in the final? He didn't he didn't just <laughs> knock it away. He because that's the that's the truth, and he wasn't going to shy away from it. Yeah, it's, the women's game is largely
3: similar to what the men's game has been in recent terms. and It's like, who's England going to play in the final? And this time, it's who's Australia going to play in the final? And look, England have got a great chance. You, know, you, just, you, you never know, England have got a great chance. It's in South Africa, so it's not, not too dissimilar to sort of English conditions. It just will be decent, it'll be be warm, but it'll not be like super hot, or not be red, red hot. So England have got a you know they've got a great chance. Nat Skiva Brunts back in the team who's she's a huge player for England. But it was a massive miss to have Nat missing. Um but she's now feeling better. Um she's now probably had a, a little energy boost by just taking time away from the game to reflect on where you know where life is at this minute in time and I think if England stand any chance of of winning this competition, then I was saying Natalie is very very important to it, what England's chances are of winning. So that's a big boost for John Lewis and his team. Again, he's a good man, Louis. He's a really really good man. Yeah, was a good teammate uh, of mine. He's somebody who, yes, speaks the truth. And as much as I criticised and I still do criticise a little bit how he he dealt with the Ollie Robinson. Situation in Australia. I bet you it broke his heart to speak the way he did about Ollie Robinson in Australia because sometimes, look, and, and I'm sure people had that conversation with me and about me, sometimes you have to have tough love. And um, Jonathan Lewis has decided that the best thing for Ollie Robinson was to call him out publicly. And you know what? Even though I was critical of it, it worked because you look at Ollie Robinson now, he hasn't looked back since that moment that John Lewis called him out. So Good on him. Good for him that do it. I hope the friendship hasn't broken. I hope it's still the same. But England women's team have got a very very fine man in charge of their team, um, along with others. Yeah, two other good friends of mine are in there as well. John John Lewis the batter, who everybody thought was going to get the job as a is the coach. We are and nearly, nearly texted him when when he the announced the yeah the announced the job. John Lewis is new England women's coach. I was, right, I'll text you, Jay. Well done, pal. Good on your mate. And then I see the picture and I thought, well, who's got it wrong here? Me or the media? Well, I know media sometimes do get it wrong, but they didn't on this occasion. Um, but John Lewis, the bat yeah, he's working as a baton coach in Gareth Breeze, um, another forward teammate of mine who who is in there as well, part of the backroom staff. So uh, we all, I'm sure we all wish the England England women's cricket team well in in their pursuit of of trying to win the World Cup.
2: Okay, I just want to mention that the, the interview with John Lewis was recorded before the Skiver Brunts. Combined their surnames That yes. would explain explain that And I just want to ask you What you think of a Not just a, a player But a captain And a leading all-rounder Being left out of the World Cup squad Because she missed her 2K time trial Time oh. by 18 seconds Wow, Nico? Well, she So she had to run 2 kilometers In 9.5 minutes or less And she ran it in 9.48 um, And she's left out of the squad
3: I think that's embarrassing I I really do. I'm sorry. I do. I'm a man who, I'm a man who, when anybody asked me, what did he get on the bleep test? And he used to say, and then they'd say, oh, was there a qualification mark you had to get? Yeah. What was the qualification mark? 12.4. How far was your best run on the bleep test? 12.4. I didn't see the point of run any further. I'd passed. That was it. Whether I passed or failed, it didn't matter. It didn't help me bowling 20 overs in a day. I could bowl twenty overs in a day. I couldn't run to the shop for the paper. I never mind anything else. But I could run twenty. I could bowl twenty overs in a day. When we first ball was ninety mile an hour, and my last ball was about eighty-eight eight mile an hour. Didn't have a problem with that. Where their best players isn't going. And if South Africa tank in this tournament, their home tournament, and I'm sorry you brought this on for yourself. I hope that's not the case. Um, but you know what? I met Danny in Nottingham. I did an appearance uh for sage and she was playing for oval invincibles She had to come over to this hospitality area where where i was there was three there was three of her teammates come over with with her i think i was kept, came over as well and you know i spoke to her for about and talked cricket about with her for about half an hour and it was one of the most in line conversations i had had her enthusiasm for the game where she spoke about the game Talked about the game. Your name cropped up in conversation. Dale Bankenstein's name cropped up in conversation. Obviously, people who I knew from that South African connection. And I thought, you know what? I can see why you're a decent leader because you think about the game. You understand the game. You play the game very, very well. So when I seen that headline off the back of my own experience with her, I was like, what are you doing, South Africa? Really, two kids in that time. For a player like that, you, you I would let her walk it. I really would. I would let her walk it. She could have done it in 20 minutes for me. As long as she can bat and ball, she could do it in 20 minutes for me. I wouldn't be bothered. Yeah, Sachin Tendulkar couldn't run around the square. Sachin Tendulkar was one of the best players that's ever played the game. If you asked Shane Warne to run two two kilometers, do you know what? I think Shane Warne would have laughed at you. He honestly he would have laughed at you. John Buchanan, he fell out of John Buchanan a couple of times, really, over fitness issues. Yeah I I do get there's a benchmark you have to be at but I'm sorry if you're going to drop a player like that for that situation I'm nah. you are you are just digging a hole for yourself and hopefully it will
2: come back to bite South Africa on the backside because you can't leave players as good as like that out now I and mean, never forget when uh, Bob Woolmer was coach of South Africa he was the first coach to introduce a fitness trainer and that fitness trainer was Paddy Upton who's of course gone on to a hmm. co- coaching career of his own but um one of the first things he did was introduce a uh, a 5k squad run, and uh, Pat Simcox, who wasn't averse to a a fag and a beer after a hot day in the field bowling 25 overs into the wind, uh, said, um, "How much turn and bounce is this 5k run going <laughs> to help me get?" Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree well more. Couldn't agree more. I didn't wasn't a big fan of Pat Simcox, but he's got it spot on there. <laughs> okay, very quickly, um, Ireland uh, to play their ODI series against Bangladesh in England. Uh, the precedent was set last summer, wasn't it, when uh, they played South Africa in in Bristol um, in mm. a couple of T20s. So that's obviously something that they're looking to develop. And a couple of other things. Jinkia Rahani has signed for Leicestershire. Sunil Narayan returns to Surrey in the T20 blast. And, um, yeah, anybody who makes a tough decision in sport because of, of mental health reasons um, should be applauded, I think. And Tom Curran Uh, is going to uh, step away from red ball cricket for the foreseeable future just to make sure that he doesn't spend his whole life on a cricket field.
3: Yeah, it's... it's, Yeah, but you make a choice. I think Tom Curran's probably thinking his test match days are over and he wants to give his full energy and attention to white ball cricket. Don't have a problem with that at all. Pretorius from South Africa has basically given up on South African cricket to try and be the best franchise player he can be. I think Tom Curran is different to that. I think he's given up on Red Bull cricket for the foreseeable future to try and get back into the England white ball team. So hats off to Tom for that. Great to get Rahani back in into English cricket. That's a big plus for for Leicester. And hopefully we've had Nico on the show, the enthusiasm that Nico's got, the experience that Rahani will bring. The Youthfulness, the likes of Riyad Ahmed has got and one or two other young good young Leicester players. That will stand them in good, te- good stead in I don't have a problem with Ireland playing in, in England. Yeah, you know, I, I really don't. I think it's a positive because cricket in Ireland, from a facilities point of view, probably isn't quite ready yet. So while the Irish team is you're climbing the chain and getting better and better, play on better pitches, play on bigger grounds, because the T V rights is what you what you're playing for. And hopefully the money that they make off the back of them T V rights will financially help. Get the facilities as best they possibly can in Ireland, so they will eventually play
2: in in Ireland as a, as a home nation. For me, that's just common sense. So Chelmsford in May is uh, is the word um, mm-hmm. when that uh, Ireland will be collaborating with um, Essex there. So good for them, and um, I think they'll be very welcome tourists. Well, that's it um, for this week. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two, with me Neil Manthorpe and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back next week live from New Zealand, provided uh, we both make it. We've got uh, fairly lengthy journeys ahead of us (laughs) in opposite directions. (laughs) We're building up (laughs) to the start of the first test between New Zealand and England. Every ball live and exclusive on TalkSport 2. See you in Mount Manganui, Harmi. Can't wait, matters. Can't wait. I'll be on my fourth hangover by the time you get there. Until next week.
1: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.